Hi, Old Time Radio fans. Jeff Bressler here with another edition of Retro Radio Land. We always open with a musical interlude, but why country? Well, I'll tell you in a while. On today's show, we're going to talk about longevity. There are many radio programs you might not know about that have gone on literally for decades. I'm going to introduce you to two of them during the hour we spend together. Family Theater was a dramatic anthology radio show which aired on Mutual from 1947 to 57, but continues right up until today. The show was produced by Family Theater Productions, a film and radio extension of the Family Rosary Crusade founded by Holy Cross priest Father Patrick Payton as a way to promote family prayer. The motto of the Holy Cross Family Ministries is a familiar one. The family that prays together stays together. The commercial-free shows during the Golden Age had no sponsors, yet Father Payton, through his convictions and connections, arranged for many of Hollywood's stars in film and radio at the time to appear. Stars such as uh, Jimmy Stewart, Gregory Peck, Irene Dunn, Bob Hope, Lucille Ball, Raymond Burr, William Shatner, Jack Benny, that goes on and on, appeared as announcers, narrators, or stars, usually donating all of their time for free. For today, I have handpicked an episode with an all-star cast featuring Harold Perry, The Great Gildersleeve, B. Benaderet, and Bing Crosby as the narrator, entitled Windbag, broadcast on August 14, 1947. things are wrought by prayer than this world dreams of. The Mutual Broadcasting System, in cooperation with Family Theater Incorporated, presents The Windbag, starring Hal Perry, The Great Gildersleeve, and Beatrice Benaderet. Bing Crosby is your host. Our family theater has rounded out its first cycle of six months. This program was born on February 13th of this year, born with the conviction that what America needs most today is a strengthening of the bonds of family life, and that the greatest contribution we as parents can give to our country is that of raising our family and our children to be God-respecting, God-loving, and prayerful citizens. And during the past 26 weeks, men and women in the screen and radio industries here in Hollywood have felt it a privilege and an honor to enter your homes each week to express these simple and fundamental truths in which we believe. For we are of the opinion, and we believe most conscientious people are of the same opinion, that there is no better and surer way to preserve our national life in those traditions in which this nation was founded than to stand in the humble recognition that there is a God, and that there is a God to whom we should pray, a God who can and will answer our prayers. We hope that you and your family, that all families will learn the truth of these words. A family that prays together stays together. This is the little town of Place Center, Kansas, where D.J. Latimer and his wife Martha have resided for 24 years. They're considered solid, substantial citizens. Their daughter, named Valeska, is married to Jimmy Meredith, a young continuity writer on the staff of the Continental Broadcasting Company in Chicago. D.J., 
How'd you like to do me a favor and make yourself a little money besides? Oh, what kind of a favor, Jimmy? Well, it's rather a long story. You've heard the Continental Theater of the Air, haven't you? Tuesday nights at nine? Oh, frequently. An excellent program. Oh, we almost never missed it, Jimmy. Uh, you don't write that, do you? No, but the boss wants me to. At least he wants me to submit some scripts. It's a freelance show. Well, that means the network buys scripts from anyone who sends them in. I mean, if they're good scripts. Oh, I see. And you want me to write for the Continental Theater, eh, my boy? Well, not exactly, Dad. Oh, DJ, stop being foolish. You couldn't even write a note to the milkman when we went to Denver last summer and want him to stop leaving milk for two weeks. Well, it was the milkman's fault. He was careless and read my note hastily, and he simply misinterpreted what I'd written. You know that what happened, Martha. Well, let's not argue about it, DJ. What do you want him to do, Jimmy? Well, it's like this, Mom. Mr. Roberts, he's the head of our continuity department. Well, Mr. Roberts wants me to write some scripts for the Continental Theater, but he can't pay me because it's a sustaining show. Well, why can't they pay you for a script if you write one, Jimmy? Don't they pay any of those other people who send in those, uh, those freelance stories? Oh, sure they do, but it's different with me. You see, I'm on the staff, and the network has a ruling that a staff writer can't be paid for anything he writes that's sustaining. So the only way I can write for the Continental Theater and get paid for it is to send my scripts in under somebody else's name. Well, Jimmy, that doesn't seem quite honorable. Oh, don't worry about that, Mom. Mr. Roberts himself suggested it. He's just as anxious to get good scripts as Jimmy is to write them. Oh, the whole thing's a technicality and a silly one. Well, perhaps you're right. Certainly she's right, my dear. The entire structure of American freedom and democracy is based upon the supposition that a workman is worthy of his hire. I shall do it, my boy. Do what, DJ? Jimmy hasn't even told you yet what it is he wants you to do. Well, Dad's got the idea, though, Mom. I'll send him scripts, and then he sends them in under his name. And they pay $250. Uh, what? I said they pay $250 a script. When the check comes to you, Dad, you cash it and keep 50 for your trouble. Oh, DJ wouldn't take a penny for doing it, Jimmy. My dear. Then it's no soap. Either Dad takes the 50 or Jimmy gets somebody else. Uh, your mother was a trifle hasty, my pet. Um, how many scripts per month do you figure you can sell, Jimmy? Oh, two or three. Mr. Roberts likes my style. Will you do it, Dad? Of course, my boy. Anything to help you out in any way I can. Uh, by the way, excuse me, will you? What's the matter, DJ? Uh, nothing. I just have an idea I want to write down before I forget it. DJ, what are you up to? Uh, nothing. I'll be back in a few minutes. Mm, I don't like it, Jimmy. I just don't like it. But why not, Mom? Oh, you know your father, Val. He's the sweetest man in the world, but he does have his weakness. Oh, she means Dad's imagination is an active one, and sometimes he relies on it for his facts. Oh, he doesn't mean any harm, Jimmy. Oh, of course he doesn't. He can't help it if he's an incurable romanticist. That's how I got the name Valeska. Mm-hmm. I wanted to call her Priscilla after my grandmother. But about the time I was born, Dad was lost in admiration over a movie star named Valeska Surratt. Hollywood is a great influence in Dad's life. He lives every movie he sees. Poor dear. Outside of going to a couple of American Legion conventions, he's never done any of the things he dreamed of doing. That's uh, a lucky thing, too. Oh, I don't think you need to worry, Mom. Nobody will know it's Dad who's supposed to be writing those scripts. The actors get all the glory, and a writer's lucky if he gets name credit at the end of the show. Just the same, Jimmy, I'm worried about it. But why, Mom? Because it's your father. I haven't been married to that man 25 years come next February 10th for nothing. I love him, but I know if there's a way for something to slip or come unraveled, he'll find it. the men and women who made this nation great, the unknown men and women who marched across the wilderness, 
who built their homes and a new civilization. The record of their lives is romance. This nation is their glory. You have just heard The Romance of Glory, the 26th in this new series of Continental Theater of the Air. In the starring roles of John and Mary Fremont were Linda Featherton and Rodney Bonnycastle. The Romance of Glory was written by Digby Latimer and directed by Staunton Trelawney. Uh, the Romance of Glory was written by Digby Latimer. Did you hear that, Martha? I'm not deaf, though sometimes I wonder why I'm not. Why'd you send in Jimmy's story under the name of Digby Latimer instead of D.J.? Nothing, my dear. You simply don't understand. D.J. Latimer is all right for a businessman, but Digby Latimer is much more appropriate for an author. Huh. Uh, good morning, Mr. Bloodgood. Uh, good morning, D.J. like to cash a little check, if you don't mind. That's what the bank's here for, D.J., Five ones be okay, same as usual. Oh, no, this check is a trifle larger than that, Mr. Bloodgood. Two hundred and fifty dollars, in fact. Well, must have turned a nice deal, D.J. Pay to the order of Digby Latmer. I've endorsed a Digby Latmer, Mr. Bloodgood, and then I've written D.J. Latmer under it. Uh, Digby Latimer is my uh, pen name. Ah, signed, uh, Continental Broadcasting Company. Yes, it's payment for a little thing I dashed off in my spare time. You may have heard it two weeks ago last Tuesday on the Continental Theater of the Air little thing I call the romance of glory. Well, I heard that, D.J. Oh, maybe you noticed right at the end the announcer said the romance of glory was written by Digby Latmer. Oh, can't say I did, D.J. Well, he said it. It's what they call name credit. All we top radio writers insist on that. Uh, I never knew you had the gift to write for the radio, D.J. Imagine a lot of people in Clay Center will be surprised, Mr. Bloodgood. I always felt I had the talent, but like so many potential authors, I procrastinated until my son-in-law, Jimmy Meredith, simply insisted I turn my hand to radio. Well, you written any more plays, D.J.? Oh, yes. I have another going through the works in Chicago. Usually it's a slow process, but after the success of The Romance of Glory, I imagine I'll receive preferential treatment. Uh, don't be too surprised, Mr. Bloodgood, if I cash several checks like this one every month. And be sure to listen every Tuesday night at 9, eh? I'll most surely do that, D.J. And when you hear the announcer say, written by Digby Latimer, you'll know it's good old D.J. himself and not a reasonable facsimile, as we uh, radio folks say. <laughs> I never would have thought it. I'd say that still waters run deep, except the D.J.'s must, too. Good morning, Emma. Morning, Asa. Any news is fit for the case in a clarion to print? Uh, maybe. What did you say if I told you D.J. had a play he wrote on the Continental Theater of the Air, Coast to Coast? Listen, Asa. The clarion's printed stories about two-headed calves and hailstones big as footballs. But Elmer Danbury'd fire me if I brought in a yarn that D.J. Latimer's a radio writer. Just the same, Emma. It's so. Not three minutes past, I cashed a check the Continental Broadcasting Company sent him for his story. <gasps> $250. Heavenly days. <gasps> My stars above here. We stand talking when I ought to be interviewing him. I just heard the news, DJ, and I think it's the most thrilling thing that's ever happened to Clay Center. Well, it was nothing, Emma, really nothing. Just something I dashed off in a few spare moments. Oh, you're too modest, DJ. Tell me, how do you get such a wonderful story and such a beautiful ending? Nothing. I just dug it up. 
I'm working on an ending for a new play now. Oh, how wonderful. Yes, this will end with the words, Ia ura naite atua. Uh, yes. My, what does it mean? Well, that's Tahitian for goodbye, my love, until we meet again. Oh, how touching. How do you know things like that, DJ? Well, once, many years ago, a Tahitian princess sobbed those very words to... Well, perhaps I'd better not say. DJ, I never knew you'd been in Tahiti. In days gone by, Emma, the Foreign Legion went everywhere. Everywhere, that is, where the tricolor of France floated in the breeze. And you were in the Foreign Legion. <gasps> May I print that, DJ? Oh, no, I'd rather you wouldn't, Emma. You see, Martha is acquainted with my, shall I say, adventurous youth. And she's made me promise never to reveal us details. Oh. But there are some things I could tell you, Emma. Oh, I'm sure there are, DJ. How many more days have you any more coming up on the Continental Theater? Yeah, week after next. It's a story about the African veldt. I call it the uh, Dark Continent. Mm -hmm. And is it, by any chance, based on the uh, personal experiences of its author? You promise not to print this, Emma. Well, if you insist. I do. All right, then. Is it based on your personal experiences? I really prefer not to say, Emma. You know how people in a small town gossip. Mm. And if Martha were to see or hear that I was once a big game hunter in Africa, she'd deny it. Uh, not for her sake, you understand, but for mine. You uh, read the clarion today, my dear? Yes, I read it. Uh, yeah. Oh, yes. Uh. Did you by any chance see Emma Singletary's interview with Clay Center's famous radio writer, a man who happens to be your husband? I saw it, and of all the plain old hogwash I ever read, that was the worst. My dear. Let me have that paper. Uh, certainly. Uh, here it is. Ridiculous. If you were 40 years younger, I'd wash out your mouth with laundry soap for telling fibs. Mm. Maybe I still ought to. Mr. Latimer's next play on the Continental Theater is titled The Dark Continent, a story about the African veldt. A little bird has whispered in your reporter's ear that possibly, just possibly, the story may be based upon experiences in the author's own life. But, my dear, I, gi I give you my word, I never once told Emma Singletary that I'd been a big game hunter in Africa. Well, you probably hinted it, and that's all that old snoop would need. She'd believe anything a man told her. DJ, can't you stop it? Stop what, my dear? You know what I mean. Telling those big stretchers all the time. Why, it's dishonest. Where's your decency, DJ, taking credit for something that really belongs to your own son-in-law? But the lad wants me to. You heard him, Martha. Just the same, it's not right. What harm can it do, my dear? In fact, I haven't a bit of doubt it'll help. People like to deal with a celebrity, you know. Celebrity fiddledicks. Uh. Somebody just drove out in front. Oh, uh, who is it, my dear? I can't tell, but it's a big car. Good grief, it's Mrs. T. Canterbury Millsap. What can she be wanting, calling on the peasants? Well, I'll go to the door. You stay right where you are. I'll uh, go. Mm -hmm. Good evening, Mrs. Millsap. Good evening, Mrs. Latimer. Is Mr. Latimer at home? Uh, yes, he's here. Won't you come in? <laughs> Thank you. Well, this is a pleasure, Mrs. Millsap. How are you? Sit down. A comfortable chair right here. Oh, thank you, Mr. Latimer. Can I fix you some tea, Mrs. Millsap? No, no, thank you, dear. I can only stay a moment. Uh, Mr. Latimer, you are probably aware that I am the president of the Ladies' Thanatopsis League of Clay Center. Oh, yes. A very praiseworthy organization, Mrs. Millsap. Oh, thank you. We think so. Uh, our aims are the study and hence the deeper appreciation of literature and the finer things of life. That's something I've always believed in myself. Yes, I can understand that, Mr. Latimer. 
But why have you hidden your light under a bushel? A what, sir? Why have you never before revealed that our little city may boast a genius? A genius? Oh, I see what you mean. Until I read the clarion this afternoon, Mr. Latimer, I never even suspected your literary talents. Ha! That is... <clears throat> <laughs> yes. Uh, well, you know how it is, Mrs. Millsap. A man hates to blow his own horn. Oh, but he should when that horn is so filled with sweet music. He owes it to the world. Uh, please, Mrs. Millsap, I'm blushing. Oh, yes, DJ blushes easily. Oh, well, he's a man. And after all, what are men but little boys grown up? Uh, Mr. Latimer, will you do me and my organization a great favor? Anything you say. Will you address the next meeting of the Ladies' Thanatopsis League and give us a, a preview, you might say, of the Dark Continent? Why, I'll be happy to, Mrs. Millsap. Anything for culture is what I've always said. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> it's next Friday at 2 o'clock, and the ladies are meeting at my house. Ladies, I'll be there. <laughs> oh, thank you again. You're too kind. Uh, now I must go. I've really stayed much longer than I intended. And, uh... Oh, maybe not also have the pleasure of your company, Mrs. Latimer. Uh, I'm afraid I'm not very literary. Well, uh, come anyway, there's a dear. Uh, good night, good Mrs. Night, Millsap. Mrs. Oh, no, no, don't bother to escort me to my car. See you Friday. Friday. DJ, this time you've gone too far. Not at all, my dear. After I reread the script of The Dark Continent, I'll be able to make a very creditable talk. Maybe you could if you had a script. I guess you've forgotten you sent in the only copy. Yes. And Friday being day after tomorrow, it's too late to get another from Jimmy. By George, that is so. Oh, well, what's the difference? I'll just make the talk without the script. DJ, you can't do that. No, why not? Because you'll make a fool of yourself, that's why. You'll be the laughingstock of Clay Center. Really, Martha, I don't appreciate that. And I don't think you should talk about your literary inferiority. After all... After all, you forget. I still believe in telling the truth. I don't want to see you get up and have them all laughing at you. Why, Martha, I recall a great deal of the story. Besides, if I've never been in Africa, neither have the ladies who will be listening to me. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you very much, uh, ladies of the Ladies' Thanatopsis League. <laughs> Your charming chairman, or should I say chair lady, has asked me to tell you the story of my next radio drama, The Dark Continent. <laughs> Briefly, it's the story of Lord Manfred Chatsworth, a peer of the British Empire, who meets a beautiful Arab girl in the vast and trackless desert of the Belgian Congo. Lord Chatsworth has gone to Africa to hunt tigers. As he sails down the Nile in his felucca, that's a kind of a native schooner, he hears the call of the Dark Continent, the Rhythm Lamta. Well, it was worse than I thought it'd be. I was prepared for almost anything, but not for hunting tigers in Africa. What was wrong with that? Nothing, nothing, except that there aren't any tigers in Africa. Oh, well, they applauded me when I was through. Certainly they did, because Mrs. T. Canterbury Millsap did, and she's the bell cow of that herd. The rest of them do whatever she does. You've got to stop it, DJ. That's all there is to it. Did you hear me? I said you've got to stop it. Don't you think that's for me to decide, Martha? I doubt if you appreciate my position. No, I don't. You're so puffed up with people thinking you're a radio writer, you've got to where you're believing it yourself. I wish you could have seen yourself this afternoon. May I present our famous fellow citizen of Clay Center, Mr. Digby Latimer. You standing there with a silly grin on your face like a wave on a bucket of soap suds. Martha! Let me finish my say. 
Next week, the kids will be here for Christmas. I'm going to tell Jimmy he's got to put a stop to this nonsense he's talking. Martha, I forbid you Don't to... you forbid me. DJ, can't you see the way things are going now? You're building a house on the shifting sands of a lie instead of the solid rock of truth. But... Don't interrupt me. I know you don't mean any harm. Lies may be little things, but they do harm. I know you wouldn't want to hurt a fly. But you're hurting something and somebody a lot more important to me than a fly. And that's you. What was it all about, Val? I don't know. Mother started telling me something about Dad, and all of a sudden she stopped right in the middle of a sentence and handed me this and turned away crying. I wonder what the old boy's been doing. Oh, being Dad, there's no telling. This is Mom's diary. Do you think she meant for us to read it or what? Well, maybe just couldn't bring herself to tell me what Dan up to. Oh, I bet this is her way of hinting at what's wrong. Let's read it. Start with December. Whatever it is, it probably happened this month. Oh, here's a page marked December 20th. D.J. spoke to the ladies' Thanatopsis League this afternoon on the subject of his latest radio play, The Dark Continent. <laughs> Why, the old fraud. <laughs> Listen, Mrs. Millsap introduced him. He grinned and he bowed. Actually, he bowed. Then he started talking. Before I could stop myself, I said, the old ninny. And Mrs. Bogus, who was sitting next to me, said, what did you say, Mrs. Latimer? So I said, I said, the old ninny. Then I caught myself real quick and I said, I mean, this Lord Chatsworth. After that, I kept quiet. But what I was thinking would have curled DJ's hair. What little he's got left. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful, darling. Why didn't you tell me your mother could write? I beg your pardon. Uh, I'm looking for Martha Latimer. Oh, she's not home right now. I'm her husband, uh, Digby Latimer. Oh, my congratulations, Mr. Latimer, on being the husband of a woman who's soon to be famous. Well, fa is Martha famous? Yes. Uh, permit me to introduce myself. Uh, my name is Wapples, Oscar Wapples, and I represent Templeton and Savage of New York. Uh, the book publishers, you know. Oh. I started to write Mrs. Latimer the good news, and then I decided not to deny myself the pleasure of meeting her in person. We are thinking of accepting the windbag. The... Um, <gasps> what a story. What quaint phraseology. What human interest. Why, we, we confidently anticipate it will be one of the greatest of the great bestsellers. You do? How can it miss? Oh, what an imagination your wife has, Mr. Latimer. That scene where D.J. talks to the Lieutenant Topsis League. Oh, it's one of the funniest ever read. Hunting tigers in Africa. <laughs> <laughs> and when his wife in the audience says, under her breath, the old ninny, oh, it was just as though she'd actually been there. <laughs> oh, don't, don't you think that's funny? Yes, oh, yes. Very funny. The American public will gobble it up. This character she invented, this DJ, will become a symbol for every blowhard and every windbag that ever lived. You should be very proud of her, Mr. Latimer. Yes, yes, I am. Mrs. Latimer is a remarkable woman. A very remarkable woman. She's all of that. As soon as she comes in, will you ask her to call me at the Traveler's Hotel? Don't be the word of this to her, but I have an advance royalty check with me. $5,000 if she is willing to sign a contract with Templeton and Savage.
where are you? Don't you hear me? Where are you? I'm here, Martha. In the bedroom. Oh, I just got home. I met Mrs. Lumpkin, and she told me... What in the world are you packing your suitcase for? Are you going away somewhere? Yes. Far away. Oh? How long will you be gone? Uh, a long time. How long? I... I don't know. Oh. Well, you better let me get you some more collars. There's a dozen clean ones come back from the laundry this morning. Martha, how can you? Isn't it enough to drive the knife deep into my heart without twisting it in the wound? Huh? I tell you, I'm going away. Maybe forever. And all you can think about is clean collars. What in the world are you talking about? <laughs> what am I talking about? You've pillared me. You've bared my shame to the world. And for what? For money. Filthy money, that's what. D.J. Adamer, have you been drinking? Don't you pretend ignorance, Martha. The publisher's representative was here a few minutes ago. His name's Oscar Waffles or something, and he's at the Traveler's Hotel. He should make you very happy. He has an advance royalty check for you. $5,000 when you sign the contract. 5,000 fiddlesticks. I won't stand in your way. That's why I'm leaving. Someday when you're old and lonely, I hope you'll give one little thought to the husband who loved you and who sacrificed himself that fame might be yours. Look, you stay right here, DJ. I'll go phone Doc Honeycutt. You're delirious. I am not delirious. I'm talking about your book, the book you wrote about me, the book you wrote and called The Windbag. I never wrote any book, DJ. Martha, the man practically quoted from it. All about how I spoke to the ladies down at Topsis League and you said the old ninny. Ah. Uh? To think tomorrow's our silver wedding anniversary. Wait a minute, DJ. I think I've got it now. I noticed the other day my diary for last year was missing. Sure as death and taxes, those two kids kept it when I let them read a page so as to get you untangled from your radio writing. I bet they gave it to those publishers. Makes no difference how they got it. They have it, and they're going to publish it. They most decidedly are not going to publish it. DJ, darling, you didn't think for a what minute that I... What could I think? Why, you big ninny. Come here and put your arms around me. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you know that our home and our love mean more to me than all the money in the world? It's... it's a lot of... Money, yes. But that's my diary, and nobody's going to publish it. Martha, my angel. But that day you did call me the old ninny. I did, and I meant it. You're right. By George, I am an old ninny, the biggest old ninny that ever lived. But from this moment on, I'm a changed man. Martha, if ever again I tell a stretcher, I hope I stumble and break my glasses. Hey, good morning, Mr. Bloodgood. Good morning, DJ. I'd like to cash a little check, if you don't mind. That's what the bank's here for, DJ. Five ones be okay, as usual. Five singles are okay. Been a considerable time since you had one of those uh, Continental Broadcasting Company checks, DJ. Uh, yes, yes, I'm not writing for the radio anymore, Mr. Bloodgood. Took the pitcher to the well uh, once too often? Uh, no, I'd hardly say that. I just don't have the time. I was getting to be so busy at my radio writing, I was neglecting Martha. And all the money in your bank wouldn't be enough to tempt me to do that. No, sir. Oh, Martha's a fine... Uh, watch that broken tile, DJ. <laughs> you dropped your glasses. I've been meaning to have Thurlow Gentry fix that tile for quite a spell now. Uh, look and see if your glasses are broken. <laughs> One of the lenses is. Mm, that's too bad. No, that's good. You wouldn't understand, Mr. Bloodgood, but this shows I'm improving. Yes, sir. It's a hard fight with a short stick. But I'm improving. (laughs) 
Now, why did we open with country? Well, the granddaddy of all radio with the longest longevity is the Grand Old Opry. And that started as the WSM Barn Dance in the fifth floor radio station studio of the National Life and Accident Insurance Company in downtown Nashville. The show launched with 77-year-old fiddler Uncle Jimmy Thompson on November the 28th, 1925, which is celebrated as the birth date of the Grand Old Opry. Some of the bands with colorful names featured on the show during its early days included the Possum Hunters, the Fruit Jar Drinkers, the Crock Brothers, the Binkley Brothers, Dixie Choppers, Uncle Fiddlin' Arthur Smith, and the Gully Jumpers. In 1926, Uncle Dave Macon, a Tennessee banjo player who had recorded several songs and toured the vaudeville circuit, became the Opry's first real star. And the name Grand Old Opry came about on December the 10th, 1927. The Barn Dance followed NBC Radio Network's Music Appreciation Hour, which consisted of classical music and selections from Grand Opera. When the Barn Dance opened one evening, the host commented, For the past hour, we've been listening to music taken largely from Grand Opera. From now on, we present you the Grand Old Opry. I've picked a wartime Opry from October the 25th, 1943 to play. It's unfortunate that more of the U.S. didn't have the opportunity to hear these wonderful broadcasts. Prince Albert, the National Joy Smoke presents your Grand Old Opry. Howdy, friends and neighbors. This is George D. Hay, the solemn old judge, welcoming you to the Prince Albert Grand Ole Opry, which is devoted to American folk music. And here's a special greeting to our boys in the service. We're all home folks, and we want you to join our shindig. So let's forget all of our cares and have a swell time for the next half hour. Are you ready, boys? Then let her go. off to a fine start, and we hope you folks will like it or ride smart. This is Whitey Ford reminding you that whether you roll your own or smoke a pipe, you'll get more smoke and joy from Prince Albert, the National Joy Smoke. But shucks, everybody knows that. But here's what you don't know, that Curly Williams and his Georgia Peach Pickers are going to pick the first number, the Columbus Stockade Blues. Pick it, boy. Here we go. Way down Columbus talking, friends now turn their back on me. Go and leave me if you wish to. 
never let me cross your mind in your heart. You love another, leave me, darling, I don't mind. Last night as I lay sleeping, I dreamed I had you in my arms. When I woke, I was mistaken. I was peeping through the bars. Go and leave me if you wish to. Never let me cross your mind in your heart. You love another. Leave me, darling, I don't mind. Some of our great symphony orchestras have made special arrangements of them, but they don't sound like anything compared to Pee Wee King and his Golden West Cowboys. Listen to them play Tennessee Wagner, Fiddlin' Hell. Someone said, to be a newspaper reporter, you must have an eye like a needle, a nose like a gimlet, and an ear that can catch the faintest sound of news. Well, our girl reporter has all of those qualifications, and a brand new Sunday go to meet and dress besides. Here she is, our girl reporter from Grinder Switch, Cousin Minnie Pearl. Yes, sir. Howdy. I'm just so proud to be here. I'm just so proud I could come. Well, sir, now I'll tell you, every year about this time, well, sister always gets ideas about what she's going to do out there at Grinder's Switch at our place next year in summertime. She was talking just this week. She said she thought next summer we ought to have one of them little stone thingamajigs that's out there in the yard called a bird bath. Mammy said she didn't think we needed no bird bath out there at Grinder Switch. She says there ain't a bird in Grinder Switch that's smart enough to know when it's Saturday night. <laughs> ain't every one. 
Mammy knows them birds out there, too. I'm telling you, she's been there long enough. Well, she says, oh, um, now, brother, he ain't no help about fixing up nothing new. Now, brother, he's one to just sit. Just sit and let things go. He don't do around much, not brother. Now, I'll tell you about brother. Just the other day, I seen him, and he was coming along hauling some dirt in a wheelbar, and he's pulling that there wheelbar instead of pushing it. I said, well, brother, why in the world are you pulling that wee bar instead of pushing it? He said, I just hate to look at it. It can't bear the sight of it. <laughs> well, I said, though, that's brother. We have a time getting him up in the morning. Every time we have time. We tried buying him one of them there little alarming clocks. It won't no good. Brother said the trouble was it always went off while he was asleep. He couldn't hear it. <laughs> but now... We have a time with brother. We awful proud of him. I wish y'all could see him. This other night, there's a fella come up our. He has stayed the night. He come and got there kind of late, and we asked him to stay the night. We awful proud to have any fella comes up our stay the night. Just stay over. Well, sir, now, brother, brother, he is sitting there talking to that fella, and he want him to know how that, he want that fella to know how we done things. Fella says, well, what time do y'all get up? In the morning, brother says, well, I'll tell you now, we don't get up till daylight, but we'll get up sooner if you want to get up sooner. Feller said, no, that is late, that's early enough for him. Now, that brother, he's always proud to have every feller that comes by up there if some feller else does the work. Now, I'm going to sing. Now, if these here cowboys will come out here and hope me. Pee-wee, I wish you'd give me a little charge. I aim to sing out there and call jealous-hearted me feller. You have my coffee, have my tea, but if you let my feller be, I'm jealous, jealous hearted me. I'm just as jealous as I can be. Now I've got a man in a bulldog too. My man don't fight, but my bulldog too. I'm jealous, jealous hearted me. I'm just as jealous as I can be. up and sent me some red, red roses. And you know what red roses mean, I reckon, don't you know? Well, red, white, pink, or yellow, I'd be supposing a gift of roses means that somebody likes you. Likes me? Why, Mr. Lewis, don't you know there's a language of flowers and that red roses mean love? Oh, come on now, Minnie Pearl. <laughs> I don't know what red roses may mean, but uh, I do know that when a man gets that red Prince Albert package, it means he's due for a heap of extra smoking joy. Oh, here I am all excited and happy about my roses, and there you're talking about Prince Albert smoking tobacco. That's rich, all right. I'll say Prince Albert is rich, rich and mellow, a fragrant, tasty smoke that puts new heart into a man. You need a heart, Mr. Louie. Good night. <laughs> it's a good night or day in any smoking man's life when he discovers Prince Albert. There's that rich, mild tobacco taste I told you about. Then there's a wonderful handling ease in PA due to its convenient crimp cut. It gives you making smokes that twirl up quick and smooth into firm, even roll-your-owns. PA packs just right in a pipe, too. And in papers or pipes, Prince Albert is cool smoking and free from bite. Yes, sir, Prince Albert speaks a smoking man's language. Means extra pleasure in rich, mellow, making smokes. Try it and see. Well said. Say, friends and neighbors, did you know that the sheriff is after you tonight? 
But he don't intend to take you with a shiny badge and pistol. He's going to win you over with a song that will kind of tug at your heartstrings. The title, There'll Be a Lot of Happy Mothers. And the singer, our singing high, Sheriff Ford Rush. Yes, sir. Our boys have gone across the sea to Christ a cruel foe. They bravely fight for liberty. They stand for right they know. We'll shout with joy when they return across the dashing foam. There'll be a lot of happy mothers when the boys come marching home. There'll be a lot of happy mothers when the boys come marching home. Hearts again will thrill with joy, shouts will rise to heaven's dome. There'll be the greatest jubilee this world has ever known. There'll be a lot of happy mothers when the boys come marching home. Sweethearts will meet in fond embrace among a happy throng. Old friends again, old friends will face before so very long. With yearning hearts and open arms, we wait for them to come. There'll be a lot of happy mothers when the boys come marching home. Our foes have laughed at misery and spread it far and wide. We'll free our friends from slavery, then lay our guns aside. Our boys will march right through Berlin, Tokyo and Rome. There'll be a lot of happy mothers when the boys come marching home. There'll be a lot of happy mothers when the boys come marching home. Hearts again will thrill with joy, shouts will rise to heaven's dome. There'll be the greatest jubilee this world has ever known. There'll be a lot of happy mothers when the boys come marching home. Oh, nice going, Sheriff Rush. You did a swell job there. And there will be a lot of happy mothers when our boys come marching home. Tonight, there are going to be two happy mothers, one in Jackson, Michigan, and another one in Capowson, Washington, when they hear the voices of their sons in service as they are interviewed by that girl with a smile in her voice and a soldier on each side, Miss Trudy Brown. Yes, sir. <laughs> There's a mighty happy girlfriend up there, too, Whitey, because after talking to the boys in the opera house, our first telephone call went to private first-class Robert Messenger's girl back home. Bob, are you visiting uh, Nashville for anything special? Yeah, I'm here to see a boyfriend of mine. He's had a pretty hard time of it. Oh, you mean he's been on maneuvers? Oh, not as bad as that. Only two months in the guardhouse. Two months in the guardhouse. Speaking of guardhouses, don't you have a pretty good one up in Jackson? Why, Southern Michigan prison is the best in the world. Largest at that. You sound as if you've been there. Oh, not as an inmate. Oh. No, I've been there as a visitor, though. Oh, I see. Well, tell us more about your girlfriend, Betty Jean. Uh, Diefenbach? Yeah. Oh, she's the swellest in the world. You uh, wouldn't be a bit prejudiced, would oh, you? Oh, no. I received a picture from her at 
in camp one time, and I showed it to one of my buddies. What's he do? He wants to put it up on a wall. Well, uh, did you? Well, I wouldn't let those boys drool over her all day. <laughs> when I talked to her, you know, she said your mom and your dad were fine. She went shopping today, and she brought a frame for your picture and a brand new hat. Well, hat? Yeah. Well, they look kind of bad on some people, but I know they look swell on her. <laughs> Speaking of clothes, you look awful nice in your woolies. Isn't it a little early, though? Well, I tell you, it's a week early for woolies or ODs, but you know how laundry is in a maneuver. Area. I certainly do. Bob, if you could be home tonight, tell me, what would you do? Well, first of all, I'd go see my mother and father, and then I'd proceed to 508 7th Street to see the swallowest girl in the and world. And we'll leave you right there, private first-class Bob Messenger of Jackson, Michigan. Goodbye, Thanks. and thank you a lot. Now, here's Earl Collins, first-class machinist, machinist mate from Kapowson. Kapowson. Kapowson, Washington. Look, uh, what sort of a place is that Kapowson, anyhow? It's a ghost town. Yeah, you're not kidding. We couldn't even get anybody on the telephone up there. Oh, well, that doesn't surprise me. It was a ghost night out. Okay. How long have you been in the service and why? I've been in the service for three years, Judy. Uh, the reason I joined the service is because I felt the Lord needed me there. And then I knew I'd have to go soon. <laughs> do you have any church service on board? Yes, Trudy, we do. Tell us how about the attendance. The attendance? Well, Trudy, you'd be surprised. Most people think the sailors are really a rough and tough bunch, but the services are very well attended. You know, a lot of mothers are going to be awful happy to hear that. Look, tell me, do all you sailors go around with your underwear showing up at your neck like that? <laughs> uh, underwear? Yeah. Well, maybe underwear to you, but it's regulation for us. <laughs> There's something else I'd... I'd sort of like to know, what excuse do you sailors give your executive officer when you want to go calling on your girl in every port? Oh, we just tell him we want to go see our sister. Oh, well, does he uh, fall for that in every port? Sure. He wants to go see his sister, too. <laughs> <laughs> Look, uh, according to all of those bars on your chest, you must be quite a hero. You want to tell us about it? Well, Tootie, I'd really love to tell you all about it. But you know, if I stick my neck out too far... I'm liable to get hooked, so I better not say very much more. Okay, look, Collins, we couldn't raise the ghost in your hometown, but if you could be home tonight, what would you do? If I was home, I'd like to be with my mother for a few minutes and have a nice long talk with her, find out what had happened in the past few days, and then I'd like to slip out and find out why the ghost took the wrong night out. Okay, thank you, Earl Collins of Kapowskin, Washington. Goodbye and good night. <laughs> Some folks called Dinah Stole my heart away from me up in Carolina Take me back, Tulsa, I'm too young to marry Take me back, Tulsa, I'm too young to marry Okay, next, let's Big B get the honey, poor man plant cotton, rich man get money. Take me back to so I'm too young Mary. Take me back to so I'm too young Mary. Walk and talk, Susie. Walk and talk, Susie. Walk and talk, Susie. Walk and talk, Susie. Take me back to Tulsa. I'm too young to marry. Take me back to Tulsa. I'm too young to marry.
King and his hard-riding, straight-shooting, Golden West Cowboys playing Take Me Back to Tulsa. And now, friends, tonight we bring you a man that has spent some of the happiest hours of his life in the classroom, poring over his books. Uh, pardon me, I mean snoring over his books. Here he is, that wacky from Kentucky, the new star of the Grand Ole Opry, Prince Albert's Prince of Goodfellows, the Duke of Paducah. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Buck, for that there nice introduction. I want you all to know that when Louis Buck went to college, that he made some mighty famous plays for Notre Dame. <laughs> I was different from him. I just made plays for any dame. Oh. <laughs> I'll never forget my first day in school, you know. Teacher fixed my seat and told me to sit down, and I ran outside. She fixed my seat again, told me to sit down, and I ran outside. <laughs> Then the teacher ran outside and fixed my seat, and brother, I couldn't sit down. <laughs> she, she thought I was a very unusual student, you know. Every morning I brought her an apple and let her have it. <laughs> Some mornings I let her have it before she could even duck. <laughs> I'm telling you, when I went to school, oh, I was the meanest thing ever you seen. I'm telling you, I was so bad that that teacher wrote so many notes home to my father, people thought they was a-going together. <laughs> you know, you know I, when I played baseball in school, I played baseball with a lot of boys that are in the Army now, and they're still playing a game of baseball, but now it's for Uncle Sam, and they're going to win, and when they finish, the score's going to be no Hitlers, no ruins, no terrors. <laughs> You know, I, I, when I went to school, I was so hard on my clothes, I had to wear what they call military pants. Military pants, they always looked like they needed a second front and there was A-W-O-L in the rear. <laughs> you wouldn't believe it to look at me, Louis Buck, but I want you to know that I was the boy in my class voted the one most likely to get the seat in the White House. Yes, sir. Of course, they didn't come right out and say that I'd be president. But they did say there's the guy that's most likely to get the chair in the big house. <laughs> Boy, I'm sharpening a scrub woman's knees tonight, ain't I? <laughs> you know, uh, you know, my wife went to the same school I did. Yeah, she, oh, that was the dumbest woman ever I seen. I'm telling you, she was so dumb, she wore the dunce cap so long her head grew to a point. <laughs> Hits a fact. Poor girl had pencil trouble in school. Yeah, she always had pencil trouble. Too little writing pencil and too much eyebrow pencil. Uh, you know, she still runs around with a club of girls from the school she used to go to. And I want you to know them is the gossipingest gossipers that I ever heard gossip. They, why, they think the three R's stands for wrap them, ruin them, and rip them up the back. Yeah. When I went to... That, thank you, neighbor. You belong to that club, too. Uh, <laughs> oh, they got them all over. You know, when I went to grammar school, uh, we used to run races with the girls to see who was smarter, boys or girls, you know. <laughs> but after we got in high school, we just cut that out and settled down to neck and neck. <laughs> you know, you're talking about school. The other day when school started, my little nephew didn't want to go back to school. And I'm telling you, his mama had to whip him. And he looked up at her. And he says, oh, Mommy, look, 
You cracked a crystal on my watch. She said, that's me, sonny boy, crystal cracking mama. <laughs> oh, you know, I was kind of dumb in school, but there's one thing that I learned every day, that there's no other country in the world like the good old USA. So let's buy them stamps and bonds and keep that flag flying or land and sea and keep this old country boy going to the wagon yelling, these shoes are killing me. <laughs> about the man who saw a stout-looking parcel fall off of a moving truck, and he picked it up gingerly and... Uh... called the FBI. Now, wait a minute. I'm telling this. <laughs> no, at first he was going to because of the way it felt and sounded when he balanced it and shook it. Well, yeah. come on. Don't keep me in suspense, Whitey. What, uh, what did it turn out to be? Well, when he finally opened it inside with some chicken sandwiches and tomatoes mm. and a piece of berry pie and a thermos bottle of coffee... And an unopened package of Prince Albert smoking tobacco. Well, that's one way to get a free lunch and free making smokes. And friends, our visiting time at Prince Albert Grand Ole Opry is about up, but I believe we can hear one more number from Curly Williams and his peach pickers. Home in San Antonio, fiddle it, Curly. <laughs> Someday she's gonna be my very own. Then I'll be 
and we'll buy a high chair in a year or so for our little home in San Antonio. Nice going, Curly. That guitar player there is cooler than a pipe full of Sprint's Albert Spoken Tobacco. Uh, Pee Wee King, how about getting a little cabbage out here? I'm hungry. Bile him down. Bile him, son. Bile him, cabbage. Hey, man, old man, Short but sweet, and it's about time now we want calling on a little girl named Ida Red, Philip Pee Wee. Ida Red's got no cold parts, hair with cat bone. Ida Red, I do, I'm in love, I do. Ida Red, I do, I'm in love, I do. That's all the time we have for now. Please join me on the next edition of Retro Radio Land.